Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. I'm going to take this episode as a time to reflect a little bit. I've been doing the Bird Banner Podcast now for almost six months, and I've had fun. I've talked to some really interesting people. And one thing I've learned along the way is all, that although a lot of the people who listen to the Bird Banner Podcast are avid birders, a lot maybe not so much. I have other friends, I have family, but I also have people that I really don't know that well who've gotten back to me and told me that they just like hearing about birding, that they like the stories, they find the people I talk to interesting. And I thought today I'd, I'd, I'd address the topic of why birding? Why am I a birder? Why don't I go skydiving or general photography or fly fishing or mountain climbing or something else? Why birding? What's so cool about birding? It, it seems a little obscure. And it probably is a bit, although birding is one of the most rapidly growing hobbies in the country. And lots of people now uh, will come up to me when I'm out and say, oh, you're bird watching. And I'll say, yeah. Used to be there, I was saying, are you looking for hawks or eagles or are you looking for whales or other reasons to have binoculars and a camera? But anyway, uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about why birding. I got into birding pretty much by accident. I found out completely unexpectedly, that my wife was a bird watcher. Uh, I was on a trip to Key West and then heading north up to visit my family on the Gulf Coast of Florida for a vacation. And Kay uh, said, we've got a day to kill. Can we go to the Everglades? And I thought, the Everglades? Why the Everglades? Uh, and she said, well, you know, I'm a bird watcher. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And so we went to the Everglades we shared her 735 Bushnell binos in her bird book. She had an old copy of uh, The Golden Guide, the old hardcover white one, and she showed me what birding was about. It had a great time, and I just loved it. Uh, and after that, I just dove in head first. I uh, found that initially the, the draw for me was twofold. It was the, the, the figuring out what that bird was, you know, looking for field marks and studying and reading the, the bird guides and looking at range maps and f yeah, all sorts of things. But figuring out what a bird was was a real puzzle, and I enjoyed that part of the birding. I also, uh, I also enjoyed uh, the Where's Waldo part. Kay used to call it the Where's Waldo part. You know, up in that whole sky of green, there are f leaves everywhere, but something somewhere is different, and that's a bird, and you can barely see it, and then you got to figure out what it is. So the finding Waldo in the in the Where's Waldo uh, wall of uh, look-alike things was, was pretty interesting to me, too. But that was just the beginning. Uh, I found that there are some distinct benefits of being a birder that are hard to... There probably are other, other ways to do a lot of these things, but birding really leads to some richness in my life that I, that I find I probably wouldn't have experienced otherwise. Uh, so here are some uh, scenarios, some stories that will help illustrate that. Uh, first of all, you can do birding anywhere. Uh, I used to hate going to the beach. I thought laying in the sun, on the ground, was just about the most miserable thing I could think of doing. It was boring. I, I mean, go, you go for a swim now and then, but really, I mean, read a book. You can read a book in the shade. It's a lot easier to read a book in the shade than just read a book in the sun. 
Uh, you can drink, I guess. But anyway, I just found going to the beach not a terribly attractive proposition. But now I go to the beach. I love going to the beach. You bring your binos, maybe even your camera. Uh, you look around. There's birds to be seen. Sometimes they're hard to find. They can be way out or nearby. Or they can be gulls, which are a real tough identification puzzle sometimes, shorebirds the same way, hard to identify, makes a challenge. So going to the beach, sure, I'll go to the beach. I think that's a great idea. Uh, other things, you're in a city uh, and, and there's not much happening. You're in a long walk from one museum to another maybe, and you're just, you're birding. You're looking, oh, oh I'm in the East Coast. Oh, look at that, a, a scarlet tanager just uh, lit in the tree up above in Central Park in New York. Or, oh boy, there's warblers up there. I wonder what they are. I can hear them singing. Uh, so uh, it can make wherever you are, it adds an element of richness to that spot. So I like that part of it. It also makes you a lifelong learner. Uh, many, I think that's true of a lot of hobbies, but you just can't know it all. There's just too much information. Nobody knows everything about birding. And and it, it, it's a wonderful thing to just always have something to study, always have a passion to fall back on when you want to do a little studying, a little learning tonight or this afternoon. You get, get to learn something new almost every time you go out or there's always something to read about when you get home to learn a little more about what you saw. But probably for me, the biggest benefit is it takes me to places that I would never have gone. I want to ask, how many of you have been to some of these places? How many of you have camped out at Cottonwood Campground in Little Ponderay uh, National Wildlife Refuge way up in the northeast corner of Washington? I can tell you most Washingtonians that I talked to didn't even know there's a Little Ponderay National Wildlife Refuge. Forget about campgrounds there. And that is about as beautiful a place you can camp out as it comes. There's a little creek that runs by. There aren't many people there. There are birds all over the place. It's just a glorious place to go. And I've been there multiple times with Ken Brown's birding class. And it is a really, really cool spot. So it just it takes you to places that you would never go to otherwise. Uh, I've, I've camped out at Death Valley, in Death Valley, on the last night that the Death Valley campground was open. That wasn't all a positive experience. It was hot. Oh my goodness, it was hot. So hot, Kay and I slept naked on our sheets in the tent with all the windows open, as did everyone else. I mean, it was just blistering hot. We were up at 3.30 in the morning, just as dawn started to break, uh, and we were out, we were, had breakfast, and we were out at first light birding, 4, 4.15 in the morning, and we were out of that place by 6. It was not a great experience, but it was an experience that I had that I would not have, I would not have camped out at Death Valley had I not known that it's, it's a vagrant trap that time of year. Early June at Death Valley, birds can show up there that just don't belong there at all. It's kind of a famous vagrant trap. Uh, Bruce Labar talks about it in his episode of me, episode three, about uh, going to Death Valley and leading trips there. Uh, so another place that I would never have dreamt of going to. The Okanagan Highlands, uh, probably most of you, at least from Washington, have heard of the Okanagan, High, uh, the Okanagan Valley and the Okanagan, Okanagan County and Okanagan River of Washington. But uh, if you head east out of the Okanagan Valley, you go up onto a high in the highlands. That's about, I think, 2,500 feet or so. And in the winter, when you go there, uh, it's a place you can see birds you can't see otherwise. But you'll also see intense, incredible beauty. Often when you go there, you drive up, it's a clear, sunny day, and then you enter a cloud. 
It's just you can't see anything. It's foggy, and every time we go, we're saying, oh, I hope the sun above the clouds, I hope it's better, and then you break into the clouds, and it's uh, out of the clouds, and it's just glorious. There's just this intense sunshine everywhere and white snow just glistening, brilliant white hoarfrost a lot of times on all of the vegetation. So every tree limb and every piece of grass is just glistening with hoarfrost. And the birding there is terrific. You see goshawks and jeer falcons and rosy finches and snow buntings and just birds you can't find around here any other place. But mostly it's just an experience. Up there in the winter, is just, it's cold, but it's beautiful, and it's just a glorious experience. Something everyone should check out if they're from Washington is the Okanagan Highlands in winter. It's just a glorious place to go. Uh, for other things you can find the in birding, you find the beauty of places that just are not considered beautiful. How many non-birders find joy in going to a sewer treatment plant? Well, a Hoquiam STP is one of the better birding spots in Washington, and pretty much every town or city you go to one of the birding hotspots in eBird is the sewer treatment plant there. It's a place where there's water, where there might not be water otherwise. There's usually nutrient-rich ground around the water uh, that shorebirds and waders and other types of birds attra are attracted to that you just, uh, you know, not many people find beauty in sewer treatment plants, but birders do. Uh, the other thing uh, that we find beauty in is open garbage dumps open garbage dumps. Again, not a destination spot for most people, but last winter, uh, Ken and Brian and Ryan and I uh, went to southeast Washington in January, February, early in the year, and uh, one of the places you bird there is the Asotan County Dump. Uh, probably refuge. Uh, probably not call it a dump anymore, but it's a dump, uh, and uh, went to the dump, and it's an open dump, the old-fashioned open dump, not a, not a, you know, a place you just pile stuff in a truck and tuck it away. Uh, but it's an open dump, and it's great birding. There were gulls. There. We had a glaucus gull, which for us is a hard gull to find. We were looking for a lesser blackback gull, which we didn't find. But we got to look over big flocks of gulls and just had a really nice time at the garbage dump. So again, garbage dumps and sewer treatment plants are are attractions for birders, uh, things finding beauty and awe in places that uh, non-birders wouldn't. Uh, I also uh, have spent a day on the edge of a mountain in the fall, just watching the hawks fly by. In, East, in the eastern U.S., uh, hawks migrate along, especially in the fall, along specific routes. And one of those is the edges of mountains where th updrafts and thermals occur, and the hawks will gain elevation in those thermals. So they congregate in those areas while they're gaining elevation to take off for their next, next destination for the night. And you can see thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of hawks at these hawk watch sites. And it's just, it's a, a spectacle that is is hard to describe. Uh, but it's a spectacle that non-birders probably don't even know happens uh, and is definitely worth checking out whether you're a birder or not. It's an awesome spectacle that is just uh, crazy. Almost all these hawk watch places have uh, a leader, a counter, a hired pro who's there. We'll tell you what you're seeing and describe what's happening, and they are worth a visit. Hawk watches rock. Uh, also, uh, how many people who are not birders have spent 
significant time out on the open ocean just looking for wildlife. You know, a lot of people have been on a whale watching trip and you go out for two, three hours, you see a couple of whales and you come in and you go, whoa, that was really cool. Well, birders will go out over and over doing that. We're looking for birds, but we see the whales, we see the, the marine mammals and we see sunfish and all sorts of good stuff out there. But I was on The Searcher, which is a five-day deep water pelagic trip out of San Diego. And it is, I recommend it. It's a fabulous, fabulous trip. Uh, but while I was on that, we just really stumbled onto an area so rich in krill, krill are these little shrimp-like animals that are reddish colored, that the ocean just looked red for as far as you can see. And there was a congregation of marine mammals, mostly whales there, that I had certainly never seen, and I don't think anyone else on the boat had ever seen before. Shaneen Finnegan was on a on one um, my guest on our previous episode, and she we talk about it on that episode. But there were over a hundred whales there, mostly blue whales, but also humpbacks and fin whales, and I don't even know what the other whales were. But just lunge feeding right beside the boat, and just a, a spectacle that I'll never forget. It was just awesome, just awesome. And I didn't see it because I'm a whale watcher. I saw it because I'm a bird watcher. I was out birding. And I don't think many whale watchers would have had a chance to see that because they just wouldn't have been in the right place at the right time. So birding brings unexpected joys in lots of ways. Uh, also, uh, I saw the Northern Lights for the first time because I'm a birder. Uh, Kay and Ken and I were at uh, at sunrise after dark looking for a boreal owl. We didn't find a boreal owl, but we had a great evening. It was nice uh, moonlit night, walking around, just really, really glorious. And then Ken pointed out, oh my gosh, Ed, okay, northern lights. And we looked over, the, over in the distance to the north, and sure enough, a spectacular display, this greenish, iridescent lights going up in the air, just Fabulous. The only time I've ever seen the Northern Lights. And I wouldn't have seen the Northern Lights if I was knitting or if I was fly fishing or doing a daytime activity. But I saw that because I was owling. And I was out at night in the right place at the right time and had a spectacular experience. It was pretty doggone cool. Uh, other things uh, that uh, birders find is like with most with most obsessions, there are, there are like-minded people. And birders... I think, are especially nice. I mean, most birders that you'll find when you're out birding are welcoming and helpful and will just help you figure out what you're seeing, point things out, give you suggestions, tell you where to go in a nice way, where to go, uh, tell you places to go, things they've seen, and are generally helpful. Uh, it, it is really the minority of birders who are uh, uh, a little snotty or not nice when, when you meet them. Uh, so I hope some of you have gotten a little bit of an understanding about why birding. What's so special about this bird watching thing? Why, why, Ed, why are you a birder? I don't get it. Uh, well, I tried to explain that a little bit in this episode. I hope that uh, you'll find it interesting and helpful. Uh, and birders, if you have friends who don't get it, don't understand why you're birding, maybe this will help a little bit. Uh, in addition, I'm going to play a couple of clips from birders uh, towards the end of this episode. One is from Blair Burnson. On Blair's episode, uh, he talked about we talked about listing and chasing. Birders are listers and chasers. Most birders, a lot of birders anyway. Uh, listers keep track of the birds they see and have a list for different places. We have a 
world list and an American Birding Association list and a lower 48 list and a Washington state list and a Pierce County list. And we have a list for all sorts of things. Uh, but listers try to have as many species as they can in each of those places. And chasers, or twitchers as they're called in some parts of the world, chasers uh, hear about a rare bird and go find it. It's really quite an adventure, I have to say. It's, it's spectacular. And uh, chasers uh, have varying degrees of success. But I'm going to play a clip here now uh, but, uh, from the Blair Burnson episode who talks about his rules of the chase. Uh, I think you'll find them funny. I have two rules in a chase. Well, actually three now, but there's two rules in a chase. One is go now. When you hear about it, if you can, go do it. And you know, the odds drop off enormously as you wait. Yeah. And the second rule is if you don't follow rule number one, you're not allowed to whine about it because you knew rule one. So I learned to live with that. And then the third rule now has become, hey, don't worry about it. Enjoy the experience. If you miss it, you miss it. There's always a consolation prize, be it place, people, or another bird. Also, uh, I'm going to play a clip from the Dorian Anderson episode. Dorian is a very interesting person. He was on uh, episode number seven of the Bird Bander podcast, and he uh, is a, a big lister. He did a bicycle big year, is just a sto supreme storyteller, and yeah, is outright kind of crazy. Uh, but Dorian is fun to talk to. I had a good time with him. But also, he talks about why is birding so, why is birding attractive? Why is it almost addictive? Why do people get into it? Uh, and uh, he has a theory, and I think it's uh, pretty solid uh, that it's the the unexpected joys that you find, the highs that you have, the the you don't know what's going to happen, but sometimes it's really freaking cool. Uh, so anyway, listen to this clip from Dorian and hear his point on why birding is so attractive. Always. I always think of birding as like people play the lottery for a reason, right? There's, there's an inherent amount of uncertainty built yes. into the process. Oh yeah. People yeah. watch, people watch sports for the same reason that there's this uncertainty built into the equation and people who don't bird don't understand that it's that inherent uncertainty that, that drives birding as well, because you never know what you're going to find. And as a result, it is. That, that's what makes something addicting. You know, if, if you got the birding. exact anticipated result, every time you did something, it'd get boring, but but, you know, exactly. things that you get really hooked on have that unpredictable, wildly positive result. <laughs> exactly. And I think that in a world where there's a lot of routine and there's a lot of stress, birding provides this, this refuge of possibility against this backdrop of predictability. And exactly. I, I think that until people get to experience that for themselves, they don't really understand the allure of birding. Yeah. People can understand that we can appreciate birds for their aesthetic qualities and for their interesting behaviors and, and whatnot. But it's a bit more difficult to wrap your head around the process of birding yes. until you understand the idea of possibility yes. um, and how that connects to excitement and motivation. Exactly, exactly. I, I hadn't put it in words quite that way, but you're dead on. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 22, a solo episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to leave a blog post on the birdbanner.com website uh, that adds some photographs and supporting information for this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, check it out, especially birders who have uh, comments, uh, added, uh, added 
things that they find interesting. Maybe I'll mention some of those in future episodes as to why are you a birder? What do you find so interesting about birding? And why why birding? Why not something else? Uh, leave a comment uh, on the Bird Banner Podcast blog post that goes along with this. Uh, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast episode number 22. Good birding. Good day. Good day.